Hi, welcome to Behind the Lighthouse, short stories from Byron Bay and beyond, where we bring you short stories created by amazing writers living in the Northern Rivers, Australia. The Byron Bay hinterland, so to speak. And I'm your host, Steve Nossiter. The Northern Rivers is Bundjalung country. As part of this storytelling, I'd like to acknowledge the Bundjalung people, the traditional custodians of the land on which we writers live. And we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. In the film industry, finding child actors can be a bit tricky. There's a lot of things to consider that you would normally take for granted with adult actors. So imagine not only finding the perfect child actor, but to find a child who is 130 years old and totally independent and, shall we say, living impaired. It's something else. Yep, she's a ghost. Today's short story follows Marjorie, a young ghost girl who finds herself acting alongside a very intriguing old man. Join Marjorie as she navigates the mystery of her co-star and finds herself facing the most important decision of her death. The Spirit of the Act by Steve Nossiter Read by Steve Nossiter The fear of death no longer concerned Marjorie, having already been through all that. However, she still got nervous every time she arrived on set. You would think that after 120 years she would have become well accustomed to the limelight. But as a ghost, she found that well acquainted was probably a more accurate term. It still scared the pants off her, especially with all the fancy lights, cameras, microphones and everything that has become these days. But Marjorie adapted over the years, and somehow she was still in demand. 133 years old and yet perpetually stuck at 13 years old. The age she was when it happened. And after all, some things didn't change. Her costume, for one. As a ghost, you kind of get stuck with what you had on last. She looked down at her nightie that was gently flapping about her legs. It always did that. Something about the spirit wind, she was once told. At least she was still wearing her bloomers when it happened. She took a deep breath, well, appeared to take a deep breath, and took in her surroundings. She was in one of the makeup chairs at the moment. She smirked at the empty table in front of her. It's not like they were going to put any powder on her or anything. It was obviously just a convenient spot to put her while they waited for the set to be ready. The big mirror in front of her was a bit off-putting, though. It was one of those fancy mirrors with all the lights around the outside, and it made her feel like she really should have been seeing her face all lit up and beautiful with no shadows. But she was a ghost. No light was going to reflect off her pale, plain skin anymore. Her heart lurched as a faint memory drifted in. Her mother, standing behind her, running a soft brush through her hair. Her faint smile gently resting on the top of Marjorie's head. And for a moment she thought she could see a tiny bit of colour in her cheeks. But as soon as she leaned in for a closer look, the memory faded. 
and the rest of the room came back into focus. She took another breath in and turned away from the mirror. Ah, Marjorie, thanks for coming in again. How are you feeling? It was a nice sentiment. Marjorie liked this director. Miss DeMast seemed to be a lot more understanding of her uniqueness than other people she'd worked for in the past. I'm good, thank you. It was mostly true. Marjorie wasn't one for telling fibs, and to be very honest, there wasn't a lot to complain about. Despite obvious challenges, she still found herself doing the one thing she absolutely loved in life. Acting. What else was she going to do while she waited for her transition? And if she really did have a bad day, she could just do her little fading trick and wander off without anybody knowing where she'd gone. But she'd hardly ever done this. She wasn't one to be rude either. Have you been through the script? We'll be putting you with Roger today. I think you two are going to make a great team out there. Um, okay. Have you met Roger? Uh, no, not yet. I heard he's quite nice, though. Marjorie looked down at the flowers on her nightie as she remembered her own grandpa. He had beautiful flowers in his garden. Yes, he is. I'll bring him in shortly so you two can go through your lines. Do you need anything? Marjorie noticed a brief embarrassed glance down as the director realised again that she was talking with someone who didn't eat or drink anymore. Of course she wouldn't need anything. Uh, sorry, Marjorie. Uh, listen, I'll be back in a minute. I just have to check how the DOP is going. He seems to be having all sorts of issues with lighting this morning. She trailed off as she turned and sped back out the room, leaving Marjorie with the odd mirrors and unused makeup. Hi, Roger. Roger lifted his glasses onto his head and he turned in his armchair to see the director in the doorway. Hi, Nicola. How are they going out there? Getting any closer? Oh, I sometimes wonder who's actually the director here. Not sure I'll be working with this D.O.P. again, and his stupid French accent. I swear he's making himself hard to understand intentionally, she said. Roger grinned and lowered his script onto the little coffee table next to his chair and looked back at Nicola. Well, it's not an easy set today, is it? This will be a challenge for the best of them. We're already 45 minutes behind. What am I supposed to do? Ha! They're going to be real happy when I tell them we're doing pickups on Sunday, aren't they? She slumped into the cushy leather armchair opposite the old man, her small frame miniatured in its folds. Anyway, are you nearly ready to come and meet Marjorie? Go through some lines with her? Am I done here? I mean, how's all this? He gestured generally to his clothes. Oh, you're fine. You came in pretty much perfect this morning. It's like you've done this before. Well, if you're happy. Yes, of course, Roger. You're great. Come on, I'll introduce you to our young veteran. Hi, Marjorie. The director's voice always seemed to precede her actual entrance. Marjorie looked up just as Mr. Mass swept into the room, followed by a tall, elderly man with glasses resting on his balding head and what looked like a script rolled up in his long, rough hand. His long black coat and black pants made him seem so much taller than he actually was. 
she found herself wondering why he didn't have to duck to get through the doorway. This is Roger. Roger, meet Marjorie. Hi, Marjorie. It's lovely to meet you. Marjorie was surprised at the warmth of his voice. Strong lines creased out from the edges of his blue eyes. Oh, call me Roger. Um, thank you. I, I think I'll stay with Mr. Masters, if that's all right. Suit yourself. Roger moved over to the makeup chair next to Marjorie and sat down. He'd also had a big mirror, but the lights weren't on this one. He sat down and put his script onto the table, which was also empty. Not much makeup happening today, by the looks of it. I'm so sorry, but I have to go back out to help our wonderful DOP for a bit. Can I leave you two to get acquainted for now? I'll be back shortly and we can look at the lines. Sure, Nicola. Yes, Mr. Mass. And with that, the director was gone, and the two of them were left to wait in the little useless room. Marjorie fingered the hem of her nightie and felt it flap gently around her hand. So, Roger said, I've heard a lot about you, Marjorie. Marjorie glanced up and gave a nervous smile before returning her gaze down to her grandfather's flowers. Well, he ventured, shall we look at the script? It might be good to go over it a bit before heading out. Okay, sure. Marjorie pulled herself more upright and grabbed her script. It had bright orange highlighter on her lines. They'd been nice enough this time to name her character by her actual name and saw Marjorie printed at the start of each highlighted section. Uh, I don't want to be insensitive, but is there anything I need to be aware of or need to do differently? It's just that you have some unique... Uh, characteristics, Roger said. Marjorie suddenly looked up at Roger and was about to respond, but held herself back. Characteristics, huh? I wonder if he's seen himself in the mirror, she thought. No, it's okay, she finally said. You can just pretend I'm like the other actresses. Okay, as you wish. Roger cleared his throat and shifted in his seat, pulling his glasses back down onto the end of his nose. They were the little half-moon style that allowed you to see his eyes over them. Blue, kind eyes, Marjorie decided. Um, shall I start? she said. Sure, go ahead. I'll follow your lead. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have, after all. He gave a little chuckle. It was an innocent joke. Okay, uh, so it's night and I'm under the tree away from the old house and I look up to see you standing there and I say, I was wondering when you would turn up. When is not the question, little one, but how? Roger's voice became deep and solid and suddenly Marjorie felt the friendliness completely leave the little room. Um, she gathered her nerves and ploughed on. But I last saw you when I was six, and now you've turned up again. Tonight of all nights. That was but a moment ago. My path to you tonight was more uh, cosmological. Roger screwed his face up at this. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just a bit... I don't know, what do you think of that line? 
His old friendly warmth had returned at this. Marjorie looked up at a pale reflection. I don't mind it. Maybe it could be something like, well, uh, geographical, perhaps? Marjorie liked that word. She learnt it from her tutor when she was quite young, and from that day on, the world was big, wide, and geographical. Yes, perhaps, Roger replied. Might not feel big enough, though. How about universal? No, that's not quite right either, is it? I like geographical, Marjorie said. Let's keep going. <laughs> well, OK, then. Geographical it is, Roger laughed his eyes twinkling at Marjorie over his half-moon glasses. I'm not afraid, you know. I've felt you coming for a long time now. I would never expect the infamous Marjorie Baker to be afraid of me. It's the lack of me you have been fearing. Roger's voice returned to its mountainous depth once again. Marjorie glanced up at Roger, thrown by this sudden transformation. There was something there, something real. She tried to shake it off. He's obviously a really good actor, she decided. You're right. I was beginning to wonder if you were ever going to come at all. It's just that when I saw you last, when you came for my brother, you didn't seem to notice me there at all. Oh, I saw you, Marjorie Baker, a small child hiding in the cupboard, hoping never to be found hoping to disappear. Oh, hold on, that last bit isn't on my script, Marjorie said. She felt a chill run up her spine as she looked up and saw Roger peering at her over his half-moon glasses, his blue eyes seeming for just a moment to penetrate right into her soul. It lasted only a fraction of a second, then the kindness returned to the old man's face. Oh, you're right, sorry he said, looking back at his script. Silly me, I'm not sure where that came from. He paused for a moment and lifted his glasses onto his head. Marjorie, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, but I am rather intrigued. Why do you do this? Acting, I mean. What, what I mean is, there aren't many other people like you out there, are there? Let alone acting in films. Don't get me wrong, you're a great actress, I realise that, but, well, you know what I mean. I love acting, Marjorie replied quickly. She looked around the empty makeup room, trying to distract herself from the deeper answer that threatened to come up. The answer that she constantly tried to keep down in the depths of her mind. The fact that she didn't know why she was still around here at all. The fact that everyone else seemed to disappear not long after they died, and she didn't. The fact that she was alone, not only in the living world, but also in the dead. And the fact that she didn't know what else to do. Acting was the one thing she loved when she was alive, and it made sense to her that it would be the one thing that might keep her from going crazy while she waited. And the one answer that haunted her most of all, the fact that she didn't even know what she was waiting for. Roger hesitated, his head slightly tilted to the left, his kind gaze still fixed on Marjorie. Okay, 
he said finally. That makes sense, I suppose. You know, I love it too. It gives one a sense of uh, freedom, doesn't it? Marjorie's heart leapt at the thought. Freedom. That was the word. Was this old man reading her thoughts? Freedom was the one thing she desired, the one thing she seemed never to be able to have, and the one thing she felt she didn't deserve. And yes, he was right. Acting did bring her closer to feeling like someone else. Someone who could leave. Someone who wasn't stuck. Yes, I suppose it does, she said. She was starting to feel like fading might be a good idea today. But as she looked back at the old man's kind blue eyes, she held herself back. No, he is a good man, I'm sure. He doesn't realise what he's saying. How could he? Okay, sorry about that. The director strode through the doorway and back into the little room. How are we going? Not too bad so far, Roger replied. Marjorie here seems to be quite on top of her part, ready to step out at any time, in my opinion. He glanced at Marjorie, then turned his attention back to the director. Fantastic. So, Roger, I was wondering if we could have a look at your positioning. I'd love it if we did a bit of practice now, if that's okay. Sure. Where do you want me? Marjorie watched as the old man and the director, scripts in hands, worked around the room trying different standing positions and placings. At one point, the old man turned and winked at Marjorie. She smiled back and was surprised to feel a sense of warmth beginning to well up inside her. This went on for what seemed to be far too long for a scene where he was basically just standing there, before the director gave them a quick wave and shot back out the room, leaving them once again alone together. Do you mind if I ask you a question, Mr. Masters? Marjorie ventured. Of course. What would you like to know? You seem to be a good actor. Thank you. But I hope I'm not being rude, but I've never heard of you before. Have you been in many films? Oh, I've done my fair share of acting, Marjorie. He hesitated for a moment before continuing. I guess my line of work has been a little more... Nuanced, you could say. Oh, right. Nuanced. She rolled the word around in her head. That's an unusual term to use for acting. I'm sorry, what do you mean by nuanced? She asked. Well, how shall I put it? M mostly, as you know, an actor would find themselves having to act in very different roles on each job. But I've found that in my career, Marjorie, I'm required to use the same characteristics every time. You play death in every production? Well, <laughs> that's simplifying things somewhat, but... His gentle laugh for a brief moment reminded her of Grandpa, the second time this morning. You could possibly say that. He wandered back over to the empty chair and leaned against it, looking into the dark mirror. Oh, well, you do his voice very well, I must say. You think so? I have been working on it a long time. He continued staring into the mirror for a moment, and then turned towards the door. Listen, I need to duck out for a moment. I'll be back. 
and with surprising grace, his tall frame once again inexplicably not having to duck through the doorway, he was gone. Marjorie watched after him as the warmth she had just a moment ago felt rising in her, left, leaving the familiar loneliness. She looked back down at her script, her name repeated in bright orange down the left column, Marjorie, Marjorie, Marjorie. And in between each repetition, in front of his own lines, the old man's name, Death, Death, Death. The set was indeed very tricky to light. A little old house stood off to the left and back about 20 metres or so. To the right was a wall of dense, dark foliage, marking the outer boundary of a tall forest. A rough path ran between the house and the spot in which Marjorie now stood, which also happened to be under an enormous tree, its thick branches spreading straight out from the main trunk, some almost touching the ground before shooting back up. It was all fake, though. Everything was enclosed in the giant studio. It was essentially just a huge, hangar-sized shed with thick black insulation covering the walls and the impossibly high ceiling. The tree was probably made mostly of foam. The house was just a couple of external walls. The pathway, at least, felt like real dirt. There was a little bright pink T on it, just in front of Marjorie's feet. That was where her feet had to stay while they acted out the scene, and she patiently stood under the big tree with her toes in just the right spots, waiting for the crew to finish setting up the scene. She looked around at the lights everywhere. Some were rigged up along trusses hanging halfway down into the cavernous space, others on stands around the fake forest and fake tree. There were little ones low on the ground right near Marjorie, and just now... They were fiddling with a couple of similar ones right near where Mr Masters was about to be standing. A young man with an impossible number of rolls of multicoloured tape hanging off his belt was standing in his position. Marjorie figured it was because he was the tallest one around at the time, but she noticed not quite as tall as Mr Masters. Death was a tricky man to stand in for. She looked over at the director who was flitting between the two cameras, their huge lenses aimed directly at her and the sticky tape man. The man behind the closest camera was doing a lot of hand-waving and yelling out to the people with the lights in a funny accent. She also noticed the first AD. He was hard to miss. He was a larger man in a folding chair with a small megaphone dangling from his hand. Occasionally he would bark orders through it. He'd already called out, Five minutes, please, people! Three times, so far. Marjorie's stomach did a little churn. Her nerves hadn't settled down yet. She wished she could shuffle her feet a little bit to make crunching sounds in the dirt, but her small, transient feet didn't make much in the way of sound. Gravity seemed to have lost interest in her. She was only really standing there because floating there seemed to generate some anxiety in people. And again, her thoughts drifted to Mr Masters. She couldn't shake them. There was something there. That look he gave her. And that voice. The change that came over him as he read the lines. Death's lines. There was definitely something there. Something deeper. Was sinister the word? Maybe. 
No, he was kind, she was sure. Ah, oh, this is so frustrating, she thought. It was as if she could only just see the outline of her thoughts through a thick mist. It couldn't be him, could it? I'm sure it couldn't be him. I've seen him before. Or maybe I'm being silly, she thought. Maybe he's just a really good actor. A very good actor. A good actor who can read my thoughts? Hmm. Are you ready? Marjorie spun around to see the old man towering over her left shoulder. Oh, my goodness. Marjorie laughed nervously. I didn't hear you coming. Sorry, he laughed. Perhaps we should let him play my part, shall we? He said, pointing over to the young man standing in for him. They struggled to find someone tall enough, she said with a little smile. The old man looked back at Marjorie. He wasn't wearing his glasses anymore, but his face still held kindness in it. No, it definitely couldn't be him. Death's face wasn't kind like this man's face, but his eyes were blue, weren't they? Listen, Marjorie, he said, bending down. I just wanted to touch base with you before we started. I would like to be completely upfront with you as we go into this. I believe it will help the process somewhat. She took a quick breath. I think I know what you're going to say, Mr. Masters. Oh, okay then. What is it you think I'm going to say? He said with a smile. I think, Mr. Masters, that you're wanting to say that we're both playing our actual roles. You're wanting to say that you're actually death. She looked down at her feet for a moment. Was she being too rude to the old man? Well, she'd started now. She had to go on. But honestly, I don't actually think you are, Mr. Masters. I've seen him before. He didn't look like you. The old man straightened up, somehow making him seem even taller. My goodness, that is something. Death, eh? He looked around the set again before turning his full attention back to Marjorie, bending down so that his clear blue eyes were directly level with her own. That is not what I was going to say. Oh, Roger, thank goodness you're here. Could you please take your spot where Jimmy is just now? It took a moment before the old man broke his gaze with Marjorie, and as the director paced over towards them, he stood up slowly, walked over, and took his position. Out of the corner of her eye, Marjorie noticed the two cameras tilt up slightly. The old man glanced back over to her, winked, and then proceeded to be shuffled around by the director again. Was it too late to fade now? Probably. Mr. Mass would be so upset if her main actress disappeared just as they were about to roll the cameras. But she had her other little trick, if she needed it, didn't she? Marjorie felt the tension in her mind, as on one hand she wanted to escape, to get away from this strange tall man, and on the other hand, when it all came down to it, she had to admit she actually wanted to see how this played out. Who was this man? Roll sound, the first AD barked. Roll cameras, he added. Marjorie heard the camera and sound operators respond with speed and rolling. 
This was it. Marjorie's stomach gave another little nervous churn. Everyone's eyes were turned towards Marjorie and Mr Masters now. The first AD lifted his megaphone to his mouth and yelled, And... Action! It was a little too loud in Marjorie's opinion, but she quickly put that aside and mentally pulled up her lines. Her nighty was flowing beautifully in the spirit wind. Her hair had even caught some of it and was gently flicking around her face. She raised her chin, looked over to Mr Masters and delivered her line. I was wondering when you would turn up. And right on cue, the old man returned with, When is not the question, little one, but how? His voice, that solid, cold, mountainous voice. But I last saw you when I was six, and now you've turned up again, tonight of all nights. From somewhere in the back of Marjorie's mind came the thought, But it's not night, is it? It's morning. It just looks like it's night because we're in a big pretend space. That was but a moment ago. My path to you tonight was more geographical. There was just a brief moment of pride as Marjorie heard her small addition to the script. But it was soon overcome by her other thoughts, the deeper thoughts that were quickly rising now. You're right, Mr Masters, she thought. You're not cosmological at all, are you? You're geographical. You're from here, aren't you? She pressed on. I'm not afraid, you know. I've felt you coming for a long time now. But I haven't felt you coming. That's the thing, she thought. I should have felt something, I'm sure of it. It can't be this sudden. Not after such a long time. She felt her nighty flapping against her legs. Her hair was being pulled around behind her head. Fading was not an option now. It was time for her other little trick. Really, it was happening almost spontaneously. She couldn't have stopped it, even if she wanted to. I would never expect the infamous Marjorie Baker to be afraid of me. It's the lack of me you have been fearing. Somehow his voice didn't seem quite so ominous now. Fear, she thought. I have been scared. I have feared. I've held on for so long for something I don't even know what it is I've been holding on for. Penance, maybe? But it isn't you, Roger Masters. Not you. You are not him, are you? The spirit wind was pulling against her now. She leaned into it, her nighty manically flapping around behind her, her body outlined in the folds as the wind pressed the spirit fabric against her spirit body. She held her arms out, feeling the breeze rush past her fingers. She started to feel her feet leave the ground as she turned her gaze full into the old man's face. Who are you, Roger Masters? She said, her voice unnaturally projecting across the set, her small, pretty face now fierce and demanding. It was the opposite of fading. She was becoming more real and more present than anyone else in the big pretend room. First AD had the megaphone frozen halfway to his gaping mouth. The director was paused mid-stride towards Marjorie, her eyes wide with panic. Nobody dared to move. This hadn't happened before. Nobody had ever seen this side of the nice young ghost Marjorie Baker. The old man tried to keep his composure. I saw you, Marjorie Baker, a small child hiding in the cupboard, hoping to never be found. Hoping to 
he swallowed. He had tried to raise his voice to match hers, but it was beginning to waver. No, you didn't. You were never there. It wasn't you who came that day. Who are you, Roger Masters? The old man rallied, trying to stand tall and defiant. But Marjorie had matched his height now. He tried to take a step towards her, but quickly began to back up as Marjorie, fully present, the spirit wind whipping around her, her eyes levelled on his, began to float along the path towards him. Marjorie, hold on. He stumbled back. He said this would be okay. You're supposed to be compliant. Compliant? Marjorie stopped moving, but kept her eyes fixed on the old man's eyes. The kindness wasn't there now. Only fear. Keeping his wide blue eyes on Marjorie, the old man fumbled in his coat pocket and pulled something out. He glanced at it for a moment before holding it out towards Marjorie. It was a small piece of paper folded in two. Marjorie stared at it for a moment. As she looked, she saw just the slightest hint of movement. Her spirit wind was reaching this small token. There was only one explanation for this. However, she had very rarely seen it happen. There was a connection between that item and Marjorie. Please, take it, the old man said quietly, his wide eyes still fixed on her. She noticed again how blue they were, like the sky. She allowed the wind to settle just a bit before gradually moving closer to the man. His eyes began to flick between the paper and Marjorie. He held it further out towards her, trying to be as far away from it as possible. As she got close enough, she reached out her hand and took the fluttering little paper. The old man quickly recoiled and took another couple of steps back. He was disarmed now. Her trick had worked. It would not have worked on death. She gradually lowered herself back to the gravel path and let the spirit wind die right off to its normal gentle breath and looked down at the paper. It seemed old, fragile slightly bent, probably from where Mr. Masters had fumbled with it. She unfolded it, and her heart leapt. It was a drawing. A very simple drawing. A drawing done by a child. She looked down at the little picture of a man with dark hair and a dark beard. He was holding a shovel. Under the man's feet and across the paper was a brown, horizontal line with what was very clearly flowers coming up out of it. Marjorie recognised it straight away. Well, she should, shouldn't she? She was the one who drew it, although that was a very long time ago. It was a picture of her grandpa. She remembered his garden being so much nicer than this childish attempt, but she only had a few colours, and she was still very young. She had given it to him not long before he had left. A tear appeared in the corner of Marjorie's eye. Whatever happened to him? One day he was there, showing her how to dig up weeds. Then the next, he was gone. What happened to him? She looked up at the old man, and then she looked again. I'm so sorry, Marjorie. It doesn't normally go like this. It's just that, well... I asked especially, 
I wanted to come for you myself. He was hushed over now. His shoulders still betrayed his height, but his strength and stature had fallen away. He was now just a frail, broken old man, frightened into submission. She tried to picture him with dark hair and a big dark beard. She imagined an old rusty shovel with a long wooden handle in his hand. I'm so sorry, he said again. I didn't want to upset you. There's a process, you see. You, you can't let them know what's coming. It's too distressing. Our death is much better at it than I am, he sighed. Maybe I should have just let him come. He was looking down at his hands now, running his long fingers through each other distractedly. He shuffled his feet and for the first time, Marjorie noticed that they didn't make any sound against the gravel path. She imagined a big garden behind him, filled with flowers, trying to remember all the colours. Yellow, purple, bright orange, red, white, and lots of lush green. She went to say something, but as she opened her mouth to speak, her throat caught and nothing came out. Another tear fell and disappeared into the spirit wind. Finally, Marjorie managed to ask. How? You, you're an actor. Mr. Mass hired you. She looked over at the director, still frozen mid-step. Her face turned towards the two of them. Oh, well, um, you know, he stumbled. Death does give us a little leeway when we come for people. We can manipulate some circumstances, you could say. Poor Nicola did hire somebody else, but I stepped in his place at the last moment. I had to shuffle a few memories and impressions around a little to fit the situation. He looked back over at Marjorie. I really should have come to you much earlier than this. I could have brought you out more gently. I am really so sorry, Marjorie. Brown overalls. Boots. A dirty white button-up shirt. She looked again at his hands. They were big, calloused hands. Hands of the earth. Held the earth within them. Let dirt fall between their fingers. Gently caressed new growth. And turned old life back into the soil. The hands of a gardener. She didn't know what to say. She looked at the gravel path below her as one of her hands drifted down and grabbed the hem of her flowery ninety. This was impossible. He had changed so much. The initial shock of this realisation was beginning to grow into something else now, and along with her tears, other feelings were rising. Confusion. Fear. Anger. And glistening in amongst the maelstrom of emotions in Marjorie's head, there was also just a tiny, growing spark of hope. She focused in on the hope. Grandpa? She finally ventured. She looked up to see him turn his face towards her. Yes, he whispered. He looked down again and said, I, I know I don't look the same, it's just for now. He looked back over to Marjorie. It wasn't supposed to go like this. 
We were meant to follow the script together. The script, she thought. What has the script got to do with anything? It's just a silly little film. Unless... Did you change the script? Marjorie suddenly burst out. I, um, I might have had something to do with that. So it was you who wrote me into the script? Well, yes, but you weren't supposed to know any of this until later. It wasn't much of a stretch, she said, looking over at Mr. Mass, who hadn't moved at all. And did you do something to the crew? I couldn't have them interfering, not once you started to go, well, all spooky. Which was quite convincing, by the way, he added quickly. Scared the life out of me. Well, when I say life, I mean, you know, he trailed off. He started to take a step towards Marjorie. No, stop there, she said. Just stay there. There was so much going through her mind. It was hard to pin anything down. Where did you go? What happened to you? You left us behind. She thought again of her mother and another surge of emotion began to rise. For days her mother had sat in the kitchen, a picture of herself and her father, Marjorie's grandpa, cradled in her lap. And then only a few years later, she had lost her son, and Marjorie too. Uh, Well, I was summoned, he said. I had no choice, Marjorie. I had to go. Summoned, she said. Summoned for what? You're a gardener. Well, actually, uh, harvesting, as it turns out. I've been mostly working with time and a little bit of space, but he's been training me up for this as well lately. He gestured to Marjorie. He seemed to cheer up somewhat at this. Marjorie was not going to have a bar of that. Why now, she demanded. 120 stupid years I've been waiting. That's a long, long time to be left alone. Why did he wait for so long? Why did you wait for so long? He looked at her. Do you remember when it happened, Marjorie? She did remember. She remembered all too well. It was her brother's time, not hers. He was the one with the fever, not her. He was the one about to die. He was the one who actually did die. And somehow not her. I was there, Marjorie. I noticed you hiding in the cupboard. It was my job to manipulate the space in the room that night. To fold it around death so that nobody could see him when he took your brother's soul. But he looked away. I slipped and some of the space got away from me. That's when you would have seen him, I guess. It was my fault, Marjorie. I wanted to stop you, but you came out just as I was gathering the space up again. I didn't notice you at first. And once you'd reached him, it was too late. You'd crossed the threshold. Once you cross that threshold, it's too late. You can't go back. Marjorie's mind reeled. Yes, that's right. Death had appeared suddenly in the room, reaching out to her little brother. She'd acted on instinct. She'd only wanted to stop him taking her little brother, but instead... Her mother lost both her children that night. Grandpa, just a few years earlier, and now both her children were gone as well. Marjorie had rushed at death on a stupid little girl's impulse and left her mother alone. Forever.
Her guilt was crippling. She turned away from the old man and sagged down to her knees. Her legs ended up slightly below the gravel path this time, but she didn't care. She'd watched her mother live the rest of her life, short as it was, all alone. And it was all her fault. Marjorie, the old man said, you have to know that he has tried to come for you numerous times now. He is very kind, you know, in his way, and he didn't want you to suffer any more than you needed to. And he wasn't going to force you to come either. But you refused every time. I'm not sure why. He did say something about you needing to be alone, uh, feeling like you should be alone. He was right, wasn't he? Isn't that what she deserved? She was the reason her mother was left alone, so she should also suffer the consequences, right? It was justice, right? Penance. She should also have to go on, alone. And on. And on. Her hand went involuntary up to her shoulder. It started first as a small tingling sensation, and then gradually deepened into a warm glow, emanating out from a tiny point deep inside her left shoulder. She hadn't felt anything so physical since, well, since she was alive. She spun around to see the old man's hand resting lightly on her shoulder. She looked up into his face. He once again held a profound kindness in his blue eyes, although now there was a seriousness that pervaded his expression as he looked down at her. You know, Marjorie, he said, I think you've been here long enough, don't you? The warmth was spreading now from her left shoulder and was beginning to penetrate down her arm, across her neck, and into her chest. It's time you came home. The words were gentle, loving, caring. There was a gentle aroma of turned earth. Wait, she said suddenly. What are you doing? I can't go. I... I'm not supposed to go yet. She pulled her shoulder away from his hand and started to back away. Instantly, the warmth left her, and she felt her familiar emptiness. Marjorie, it's time. You can't stay here. Don't you want to come and be with us? He sounded confused. His arm remained suspended in the air, where she had pulled away from him. She wanted to flee. She wasn't ready. He didn't understand. She deserved her loneliness, didn't she? It felt familiar like she'd run away from this many times before. Was she destined to keep running away, over and over? Destined to stay here all alone, forever? She stopped backing away. No, she thought. Not this time. No more times. No more silly little girl's penance. She began to sob as the thought of being reunited with her family began to hit home. And once again... She felt tears tickling her cheeks and falling away into the spirit wind. Marjorie, the old man ventured again. He slowly walked over to her and tentatively placed both of his hands on her shaking shoulders. The sensation began again, tingling at first, then building into a glowing warmth, spreading down her shoulders and into her chest. She took a wavering breath in. Grandpa? 
She looked up into the old man's kind, caring face. Take me with you. Miss Dimas stumbled forwards and blinked. Her head was foggy like she'd just woken up. What was she doing here? She looked down at the fake grass under her feet. Then she looked up. That's a film set. Oh, wait, that's my film set. Oh, we were making a film. She tilted her head to one side, straining to remember. What was she about to do? Her thoughts were starting to congeal again, drifting together like fireworks in reverse. One moment she was behind the monitor, the next she was here, halfway onto the set to do... what? And something was missing. She looked over to the little pink T on the path marking Marjorie's position, then across to the other one further over marking Roger's. She looked back at the first position marker. Marjorie wasn't there. Roger wasn't there either. Oh, she thought. She turned around to see the first AD raising his little megaphone. He turned from the set to her, then to the set, then back to her. He shrugged. Um, cut? Thanks for joining me. If you like this story, please consider subscribing to this podcast and maybe even leaving a little review. For now, we'll see you next time round with another short story from Behind the Lighthouse. Short stories from Byron Bay and beyond. Behind the Lighthouse was written, recorded and produced by Steve Nossiter. Me. At Arcane Studios in Ganella Bar. The music was also composed by me.